Hello, hi. Welcome to and or back to the Equithery podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese. And on this week's episode, we will be answering the age old question, why must my cats? Every time. It's like, it's so annoying. Anyway, <laughs> resetting because this is the third time I've attempted this intro. Um, and we're just going to rock and roll with it. Okay, I'm not doing it again. The question we're answering, do I have to keep using treats with my horse? Do I have to keep using food rewards? At what point can I fade out food rewards? Do I have to keep using it after I've already taught the behavior? The horse knows how to pick up his feet. He knows how to accept a saddle. He knows how to turn right. He knows how to turn left. He knows how to smile. At what point do I not need to do the food anymore? I'll be answering that question and battling an orange cat, a very cute orange cat, to get off my desk. Why? Why are they like that? I don't know, but let's get into the episode, okay? Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, guys, so... We're diving into this, and it's been a hot minute since I've really talked about positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, and since I have brought the podcast to YouTube as well in this lovely video format, if you're watching, I'm waving at you. Uh, If you're not, what are you doing? Listen on YouTube. I don't have ads anywhere else right now. Come on. I need to make money. Girls got to hustle, okay? Um It's been a minute since I talked about positive reinforcement, so I thought that I would give you guys a brief overview before we dive into this topic because I think it's really important that you have a very solid understanding of the quadrants, as they say, before um, trying to understand everything else. So I've got a couple points, uh, and I will go ahead and apologize if you are actually visually watching this. Um it's currently what like 6 p.m so yeah the sun will be setting I think it sets around 8 now actually but it's very cloudy rainy outside so it's entirely possible that it will be progressively getting darker and I have my basic millennial gen z I don't know what generation I'm in 98 someone tell me in the comments please um but the led lights that go around my ceiling I have those uh, but the, the ceiling light in this room is just trash. But I also have this lamp that looks terrible in in the in the video. But it, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I'm also bothered by this plug. This one. Where is it? Yeah, right there. Okay, I'm bothered by this plug. But one plug that I'm not bothered by is Milestone Equestrian. Shop now. You can follow Shelby's. Shelby's merch on Instagram, Shop Milestone Equestrian. She was kind enough to send me this lovely sweatshirt. So check her out. I love their designs. And um, my boss actually bought this one as well. If you're listening, it's a, if you've seen it, it's the thoroughbred galloping and you can like see it goes like muscle to skeleton. It's really cool. Anyway, so let's get into this now. So where, where to begin? I, I'm, when I was doing the outline for this episode, I just jotted down a couple notes that I wanted to make sure I didn't forget because I cannot sit here and look at an outline while I'm talking. I would need like another person to give me some time. And that's why it works with interviews because I can I can break up the conversation and while they're talking, I can check out for a second, you know, skim it and then get back in and stick on the outline. But when it's just me filling the dead air, um, it's, it's no good. So um, just a couple of notes trying to decide because learning theory, behaviorism, it's a lot. So there's classical conditioning, operant conditioning, there's different types of reinforcers. Uh, there's the quadrants of operant conditioning. 
and it it's it's a lot to like fathom really but um basically I'll give you guys the like for dummies version and if you're interested in learning more I have done several <laughs> iterations of explaining these things uh like the first couple of episodes of the podcast, like episodes one, two, three, were all about the basics. And then I, I did do a series somewhere in there. Couldn't tell you what episodes they are. Um, if I'm feeling extra, I will link them in the show notes, but I make no promises because I might forget. Um, to the beginner's guide to positive reinforcement. You can just look that up. Um, but yeah, and I go over all of that stuff. So if you're super new to it, unfortunately, they're only available in audio. But if you really want to know, do that because I did a lot of reading and researching and talking to other people and watching videos and trying to learn all so that I could condense it and bring it to you. So I'm going to give you the four dummies version today. And I think either my left headphone is not working, turned down, or my ear is stuffed because I can't hear and it's bothering me. But let's, let's get to this. Okay. So we'll start with, um, behaviorism. That is what the like father kind of the overhead, the umbrella of learning theory where it fits under, uh, in psychology. And it all kind of started with classical conditioning, Pavlov's dog. If you're familiar, um, basically classical conditioning is just associations. Uh, when I'm around this thing, this person or, uh, when I do this thing, I feel good. And when I'm around this other thing, uh, or this person or doing this thing, it doesn't feel good. So these are positive, negative associations. Um, and classical conditioning is pretty much all about associations. And, uh, the Pavlov's dog element is cool because then you get a physiological response, stumbled over that word, um, <laughs> physiological response from that association, which is cool. Um, and you can get a lot more into it, but that's basically all you need to know about classical conditioning. So, um, when that applies to horse training, if we're doing things to our horses that they don't like, they're probably not going to want to spend a whole lot of time with us. Cause when we come around, you know, we're doing things that they don't super love. And, uh, on the flip side, if we're doing things that they really enjoy, or we give them opportunities to earn things that they really like, like snacks, then they are much more apt to be like, yeah, you're, you're pretty good human. I want to be around you all the time. Uh, and then you develop what we call Velcro horses, <laughs> a joke, but kind of not actually. Anyway, so yeah, that's, that's classical conditioning. Operant conditioning is... Uh, this one's a little bit trickier to explain because uh, there are the quadrants. So uh, if you're not familiar what a quadrant is, imagine a big square that is fold like a piece of paper, a big square paper, folded hot dog style and hamburger style. That might be a little bit confusing because it is a square, so you might struggle. But uh, so it's you've got four four sections of the square. And so then there's within each square. That's the quadrants. Okay. Quad four. We following. <laughs> so if you haven't taken geometry or algebra, I didn't do math, but so in each of these, there is, uh, usually we put reinforcement at top and, uh, punishment on the bottom. So let me explain what these words mean. Okay. Positive does not mean good. Negative does not mean bad. These words are in the mathematical sense, and we can thank B.F. Skinner for being confusing. Uh, we should not have used mathematics because nobody understands it. It's terrible. It's awful. It's hard. There is absolutely no use in this world for math, and I, you can fight me on that. I am joking, of course, <laughs> but I hate math, and I am so glad that other people know how to do it, but in this case, it makes things more confusing because when you tell people that train traditionally, that maybe they shouldn't, you know, always lean on negative reinforcement so heavily, they go, well, it's, it's not the bad reinforcement. I'm being nice. I'm reinforcing him by, you know, giving my rein or by releasing, I'm positively reinforcing. You're not, that's not how that works. But it's not that it's bad there. It's not a value judgment. It is a, in the mathematical sense of the word, 
to add or remove. Anyway, that was a burp. Don't tell anyone. Reinforcement is the is how you increase behavior. Punishment is like the intent anyway is to decrease behavior. So when you reinforce a behavior, you want that behavior to go up. And if you do it correctly, the behavior will. And if you want that behavior to diminish, become less likely to happen, you punish it. Or do you? Hmm. <laughs> um, so with positive reinforcement, right? You are adding mathematical sense of the word. You are adding something to increase behavior. So positive add reinforcement increase. So when you add, it's a, it's a desirable usually like uh, snacks, food, <laughs> food rewards, primary reinforcer for horses, alfalfa pellets, hay, grain, um, treats, all of these things. Another primary reinforcer is often scratches. Like Azula has been trained almost exclusively with scratches, like me petting her and itching her, scratching her itchy spots. Um, so those are primary reinforcers and you can use those things to increase behaviors that you like or that you don't like, depending on how good of a trainer you are. Um, so positive reinforcement, add to increase. Negative reinforcement is you remove something to increase behavior. And this is where we get a little bit confusing because you're like, add, increase, got it. Both of those are more, but then one is less equals more. So negative reinforcement is when you take away something to increase behavior. So if you are riding per se, and you want your horse to stop and you pull back on your reins when the horse stops and you give the rein, the horse stops moving and is positive or is <laughs> negatively reinforced for stopping forward movement. If you were to keep holding on, the horse would not know that that is the behavior you are asking for because he's not getting reinforced, which would be the relief. So a lot of times negative reinforcement is the release of pressure. Um, a lot of people that train pressure and release, that is what they're primarily working off of that and positive punishment. Um, and it, it's things get tricky and I'll explain why in a moment with the quadrants, but negative reinforcement is not inherently bad, nor is positive reinforcement inherently good. Again, the positive negative is not a value judgment. It's the mathematical sense. It is either adding or removing something to either increase or decrease behavior, depending on if it's reinforcement or punishment. So that said, you can do just, well, I want to make it an even playing field, but it's really not. It's, it's a lot more difficult to do harm with positive reinforcement than it is with negative reinforcement. You can very quickly create problems with negative reinforcement. Um, positive reinforcement, you, you definitely can. Um, and you can create things like frustration and um, dangerous behaviors. I mean, there are things that you can do that aren't good with positive reinforcement, but they're pretty easy to correct. And it's not working off of usually fear, discomfort, pain, uh, confusion, or what's the other one? Pain, fear. Yeah. Usually that anxiety, something, um, worrying, which is typically, unfortunately, what negative reinforcement works off of some level of discomfort from mild to extreme, unfortunately. And not just negative reinforcement, but the positive punishment aspect of it. So let me, let me explain the punishment side of this. Quick recap, positive reinforcement, add to increase a behavior, negative punishment, remove to increase behavior. So positive punishment, as you might have guessed by now, is adding something to decrease behavior. So in this instance, you add something like a whip and you, the horse stops at a jump, and you whip them. You punish that behavior. Um, so you're adding something to decrease that stopping behavior. Add the whip, stop stopping at the jump. Uh, then negative punishment is removing something to decrease behavior. So this one we typically see as the flip side of positive reinforcement, where you 
are removing something and sometimes it's withholding something uh, to punish a behavior. So um, a lot of trainers in the beginning of teaching horses food manners, like to stay out of your space and keep their heads straight in the center of their body and not come into your space for food. A lot of trainers in the beginning, when they first get started, it might be a little sloppy and not as like, you know, not clean loops or not setting the horse up to not be in a situation to get negatively punished. I did that a lot at the very beginning. Um, and the negative punishment might be like if the horse comes into your space and is kind of like sniffing around you and nosing you for treats and you're waiting on them to move their head out of your space, uh, then you'll positively reinforce them and click and give them the treat when they're out of your space. But while they're nosing you, you're not, you're withholding, which is arguably positive punishment. And some horses get really frustrated by this and will start nosing you more. Some will end up biting. Others will, um, get frustrated and give up or start pawing an array of things can happen. And with good training, you can avoid that or educated training. You can avoid that. Um, so food for thought, different episode, but so this, as I mentioned, starts to bring in the duality of training, we'll say. So no matter which reinforcement style you primarily use, you are by default almost always using the the punishment side. So in negative reinforcement, when you are using negative reinforcement to train a horse to say trot, okay? So you're the horse is walking and you want the horse to trot and you're a traditional rider, you're using negative reinforcement you are going to put your leg on and if the horse doesn't move or you might cluck first as like the the cue to trot or that the pressure is going to escalate and then you might put your leg on and you might squeeze a little harder a little harder nothing happens you you might squeeze harder and then you might kick or you might tap with the whip or your poke with your spur or something like that and then when the horse starts trotting you you know, remove your leg, you take it off, you give the horse the answer, the relief from pressure that this is right. I was asking you to trot. Good job. (laughs) And if you keep your leg on, that's where we get a lot of dead leg horses because they become numb to the leg because the rider, there is never any release. And like, it doesn't matter what gait they're in, they're always going to be kicked. (laughs) And so it's just a guessing game for them. Um, which is unfortunate and not good training or riding and, uh, is an extinction, uh, circumstance, situation, scenario, something. But, uh, in order to, in order to get, to be able to do the pot or the negative reinforcement, you have to positively punish first and you have to add your leg, put your leg on, which is not comfortable. <laughs> I mean, like all things considered squeezing someone's rib cage, be it horse or human, is not necessarily comfortable or being kicked is also not the best thing in the world. Um, And so you're positively punishing the walk because now you want them to trot. And that's where things get a little bit confusing and a little bit questionable ethics wise, um, because sometimes those behaviors are right and other times they're not. And it's kind of trial by fire for the horse, at least until they learn that maybe the cluck or the subtle leg cues uh, our predictions of the more heavy handed or heavy legged per se cues. And in order to avoid it increasing the pressure, I mean, uh, they need to react to a lighter aid. So yeah, so that's that the duality of positive reinforcement is like I said, the negative punishment aspect where they like basically the whole time that you're not clicking and feeding or they're not performing the behavior, uh, there is a risk of negative punishment. And the longer that they go without being clicked, unless you have trained duration or repetition, like in terms of, you know, take 10 steps and then you get clicked. Uh, But if, you know, you're training a new behavior, like I said, when a lot of people start training manners around food, they'll just wait while the horse noses them or step away from the horse while they're doing that. And by removing themselves, removing the horse's opportunity to get reinforcement, so on and so forth, you are negatively punishing them. 
So this is why when I'm training and I go to end a session, I don't just decide I'm done and put the horse back out in the field and walk away because whatever they've just done last, I've negatively punished because I've removed their opportunity to earn rewards. And if they're anything like Azula is, she would much rather, like my end of session cue is to leave a big pile of food at the end of our session to signal to the horse, we're done. And so... I'll do that for her. And when I walk away, she follows me. And so I'm like, okay. Uh, but that's mostly just because I haven't worked with food rewards with her a lot. She works off of scratches and I'm like, why not just keep that for a little bit. Um, but yeah, so for some horses, you have to work on that and because they would rather keep training than just have a pile of food. Um, I always forget what that word is. I always forget it. It's, there's, there's a word and I, every time I have learned this so many times, but there's a word for preferring to work or to try challenge yourself for the reward rather than just earning it. Like, I always forget it. That's so frustrating. Hmm. But essentially it's like, you know, if you have ever had a Kong ball for your dog that you can put treats in a lot of dogs, if you put the, if you stuff the Kong ball with treats and offer that to them versus making a pile on the ground, they would choose the Kong ball stuffed with treats because it's a little bit harder to get the food out. And I forget what it's called, but it's a form of enrichment. Oh, that's so irritating. Can't remember what it's called. I'll pop it on the screen if I can. Um, anyway, it's just too much trouble to pause because I have to sync the clips and it's, it's a lot. Maybe one day <laughs> when I get this more seamless it'll be easier to do stuff like that. But, uh, anyway, maybe one of these days I'll also stop saying, uh, anyway. And, um, and so, yeah, those are my favorites. Also, you know, but yeah, so let's talk about some examples of each in terms of humans. So I wrote these down because sometimes they're hard to like think of good ones on the spot. So I went ahead and like pre pre wrote some down. So for positive punishment, for me, positive punishment might look like not being able to sleep with my sheets on my bed because I didn't finish my laundry. So now I have to sleep on a blanket that has zero climate control. <laughs> I, the blanket that's big enough for me to put on my bed and like, you know, sleep in because you got a burrito. I can't sleep on the mattress protector. I got to like, you know, it's not good. So it's always way too hot or way too cold. There is no, no in between. <laughs> um, so my punishment for not doing my laundry is sleeping without sheets on my bed. Um, another might be getting yelled at for not being home on time or missing your curfew that, that adding being yelled at is, you know, positively punishing you for not being home on time. The not finishing my laundry uh, well, actually, now that I'm thinking about that, that might entirely be negative punishment. It actually, in fact, is um, because I'm removing the one that I would like to sleep with. I guess it could technically be both because I don't get to sleep with the one that I like. And now I've added one that I don't like. Interesting. I've never encountered a situation like this before. But this is something that I will talk about momentarily because it, it, training is so complex and a lot of people, once they first dive into this training, positive reinforcement, using science actually to train animals, is like you start out with the quadrants and you're like, okay, I get it. Everything fits nicely. And then you start realizing that in order to use negative reinforcement, you have to use positive punishment. And you're like, wait a minute. And when I do positive reinforcement, I have to use negative punishment. What? What is happening? It's all blurry. It doesn't fit into the boxes anymore. And that's what happens. It gets it gets messy because we're organic creatures. There are so many variables in the environment and it's really, really hard to control for them, especially when you're working with things like horses in arenas with outdoor environments and God knows what is going to drive by, fly by, ride by, <laughs> walk by. Uh, so, you know, there's there's so many things happening all the time. That sounded like slam poetry, <laughs> but there, there's, it's so much to control for. And beyond that, just the training itself, the interactions between 
two beings is a little bit more complicated than what operant conditioning outlines. And so that's that's why like in previous episodes, I've been talking more about why I might be a little bit deviating from being so science-based because especially in studying clinical mental health counseling and therapy and stuff, a lot of my favorite models of therapy are those that are, we can see that they work, but you don't have the quantifiable like step-by-step principles or techniques to demonstrate and to like truly explain why they work. It's more of an idea sort of thing. Um, than like something that is proven fact. Like, hmm, I don't, I don't know what a good example would be. Like, I don't know, sort of in a, well, no, that's anecdotal. I don't know what I'm trying to say, to be honest with you. But um, that that's why I'm sort of deviating from being strictly science-based because it is sometimes so hard to only adhere to science because we, like science is amazing. It is wonderful, beautiful, not at all like math, even though there is math involved, I'm aware. But <laughs> science gives you steps and rules and outlines and is great because you can measure and test and prove and def- like find correlations and then make deductions and inductions and all of that stuff. I never learned which is which because that's confusing and ADHD and a little bit of APD, but uh, audio processing disorder, which is fun for a podcaster. But (laughs) the point being that science is amazing. And if we had all of the science there ever was to have, then I probably wouldn't ever look outside of it. But the the thing I think that makes science beautiful is that it's it's something that will never be done, uh, at least in my lifetime. And I, I don't know how it could ever be done. Um, it's or finished. So you always have to have some element of thinking outside of science. You can use the rules of science to draw conclusions or take next steps or formulate ideas, hypotheses, thoughts. But some of our hypotheses are stuff or are things that aren't based in science. And so a lot of what I do with horses, I'm not always like, which, which box is this in? Um, you know, sometimes I'm just reading the horse's facial expressions or their body language based on my body language. And, uh, while yes, that's training and yes, I am in one of the quadrants likely there's, there are other things that are happening. You know what I mean? That are going on outside of strictly the, the squares. Okay. So that's what I'm saying with stuff like not finishing my laundry and having to sleep without sheets, which was a total accident. I'm adding sleeping on something that I don't want to because I didn't do what I was supposed to, but I'm also removing the thing that I like. And so is it positive punishment or is it negative punishment? Because I don't like either of those, the consequences of not doing my laundry. And so that's, I guess, technically it's kind of like negative reinforcement with the cherry on top, right? So if you're riding and you ask your horse to do a behavior that it's learned exclusively through negative reinforcement, like I said earlier, to ask them to trot, you put your leg on, the horse trots, they have a long history, reinforcement history of being asked to trot, knowing that the leg pressure will increase, but now you've decided to try clicker training. So now when the horse responds to your leg pressure, you click and give him a treat. The reason the horse did the behavior and the motivation for the behavior was not to get the treat. The horse wasn't aware that they were going to get a treat. And even if you've done it a couple times, still it's debatable as to what the motivation for the behavior is. Is the horse doing it to avoid the increase of leg pressure or is the horse doing it because he knows he's going to get a treat? Likely it's the longer, more salient or potent reinforcement history, which is likely the leg pressure. So, um, that's why it's really important to retrain those things with maybe a different cue and not use pressure or whatnot if you want it to be strictly motivated by positive reinforcement. Um, so with the laundry, I guess it would be the punishment truly that would motivate me to decrease my behavior, I guess, would be the one that's more salient to me. Is it more uncomfortable that I don't get to sleep with the sheets that I like? Or is it more uncomfortable that I have to sleep on sheets that I don't like? (laughs) Or a blanket, I guess.
I don't know. I've kind of talked myself into a confusion cloud here, but let me know your thoughts. Let me know what you think in the comments below on YouTube. And if you're listening somewhere else, I don't know, find a place to comment. Instagram, maybe? I don't know. I post about each new episode. Maybe comment there. But um, yeah, okay. So <laughs> let me move on to some more examples here. Uh, adding anger. If you've upset a friend or your boyfriend, say you've you've upset them by not doing your dishes when you told them that you would and now they're angry at you and maybe they yell at you or maybe they just act mad around you or maybe they start doing some passive aggressions like you know adding more dishes to the dishes um pile (laughs) so that would be positive punishment it's it's hard with human examples like obviously there are the childhood ones like getting grounded or not being able to go out with your friend um grounded still arguably negative punishment but um unless it's because now you have to spend more time with your family and you don't like your family then it would be positive punishment um anyway so negative reinforcement examples i'm trying to do like relatable adult examples not just like punishing children (laughs) um so for me, a big one is my seatbelt hanging. I always put my seatbelt on when I get into my car, but if somebody else is driving and I've decided that I need to do my third outfit change and I need to do that while I'm in the vehicle because I brought backup clothes with me, which is something that does happen, some outfits just don't feel right. And sometimes you're it's so much easier to make a decision when you're in the car on your way to the place than when you have your whole closet in front of you. I don't know why. Uh, but so the seatbelt will ding at me and I'm like, no, I gotta go faster. I gotta put my seatbelt back on. Um, so not advocating for that, by the way. Also cleaning my house. I feel so much better after I clean my house. I have two cats and a German shepherd and they all shed like crazy. Okay. There's dog hair, cat hair all over my floor at all times. The cats also are physically incapable of exiting the litter box without leaping from it as if it was made of lava. Um, so they get cat litter everywhere. It doesn't matter what I do. It's just all over my house, all over my desk, all over my bed at all times. And it's maddening because homegirl's got sensory issues, okay? But so when I like when it starts building up and it gets really bad, I'm really uncomfortable. I find it very aversive to have all of that around my house. And so when I clean my house, I feel relief. I feel comfortable. I feel happy. I can light a candle. It's nice. But when my house is dirty, mm -mm. so it's very reinforcing to me to clean my house regularly because I can't stand how it feels to have a dirty house. Um, As far as, you know, positive uh, reinforcement goes, obviously things like getting paid, getting love, getting care, getting affection. If you really like back scratches or head scratches or a massage, um, you know, all of these things, anything that you really enjoy or you find like super desirable or pleasurable, you know, all of those things are reinforcing. And so, or positively, like you would, you would increase your behavior if you got these things. So like if your boss said, if you increase your sales by 2% this month, I'll give you a, uh, you know, a $5 an hour raise, which would be crazy, (laughs) not in America. Um, But then that's, that's positive reinforcement and you're given an incentive basically. So um, with negative punishment, you are removing something to decrease behavior. So, um, if you, if your behavior is gossiping about your friend, say, then your friend learns about this and now they unfriend you. They are no longer your friend. They have removed themselves from your life because of that behavior that you did. You are probably more likely to not gossip in the future because it cost you a friend. Um, if you, the dishes example with your partner, if your partner asks you to do the dishes, it's your turn, you do the dishes or you don't do the dishes and they are giving you the cold shoulder. They've removed their attention or their affection in order to get you to not do that again in the future and to remember to do the dishes. So that's probably enough examples. That was supposed to be a short opener. It wasn't. Um, but yeah, so 
let's now get into actually the topic of this episode. I'm going to take a quick sip. I would love to tell you what is in that water because it is a very popular electrolyte drink additive, but they are not sponsoring me and I refuse to shout them out if they're not going to sponsor me. My little pet podcast. Uh, Anyway, so the question that I was asked on my Instagram stories, multiple times actually, which was weird. I feel like I don't really get that question, Uh, but it was at what point can I stop using the treats or if I've trained a behavior with positive reinforcement, do I have to keep, you know, giving treats, positively reinforcing? At what point do I not need to do that anymore? And this question is a bit of a tricky one. And so I I responded in my story by saying something to the effect of it depends <laughs> because almost anything with horse training is an it depends answer and not even horse training, horse care. Uh, just being around horses in general, there is no solid, uh, except they're expensive. That's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I'm so sorry about all the ums. I don't know why starting to get brain fatigue at this point, but the point being with this is that if you are working a job and you have just started at this job and you are being trained to do it, say it's like accounting and you're learning how to use the software, you're getting paid and you're a paid intern basically. And then once you learn the job, then you'll be hired full time. So you go through this process, you learn how to use all the software, you learn how to work with clients and you're ready to become a full-time employee. Here we go. And now you've been hired. No, no payment. You don't get paid anymore. You only got paid when you were an intern and you were learning. You're probably going to quit because <laughs> that is not good. Why would you keep doing it? What's in it for you? Unless you love the job, in which case you're still being reinforced. But if you're no longer being reinforced, then that behavior is probably not something you're going to keep doing. Uh, just as a general rule, like for me, I find working with horses reinforcing some days. I find yoga positively reinforcing. It's something that I like to do. I feel good after I do it. Um, I like listening to podcasts. It's positively reinforcing to me. It keeps all the thoughts away. (laughs) And so, you know, things like that, if they became aversive, like if my favorite podcast host started talking about something that I found really uninteresting, like mud, I was no that's all it was about was just mud I would probably stop listening because it would be aversive or not worth it to me no longer reinforcing uh if yoga was causing me to break a bone every time I did it or wasn't making me feel better or health benefits or feel like I'm doing some level of self-care and I actually am I'm doing my best it's important that I fill my cup so I can fill others if I wasn't getting that anymore I'd probably stop and if horses if every time I walked into the field, the horses left and they wouldn't come anywhere near me, I would probably stop. You know, these are silly examples, but to give you an idea of what it would be to, to ask that question, like there is reinforcement always. You, you don't get to choose whether or not you're reinforcing your horse for a behavior, especially when you're training, usually during interactions as well. Like when you're leading your horse, you are using some form of reinforcement and or punishment. And it the horse is learning all the time. You can't stop it. And you can't stop the fact that you are either using reinforcement, positive or negative, or punishment, either or. Um, you can't stop that. What you can do is choose which to use. You can choose to use negative reinforcement or you can choose to use positive reinforcement. That's about where it stops. Um, so say... Say you're teaching your horse what's something to do. Okay, so say you teach your horse with uh, positive reinforcement to smile, where they they lift their upper lip, which is not really a smile, it's a flame in response, but whatever. Um, (laughs) They lift their top lip, and you've taught it by cueing, by flicking your finger up in the air. This was the first thing I taught Zoe. So teaching that behavior, I do the cue, I stick my finger, my pointer finger up in the air in front of Zoe, And she lifts her lip, I click, and give her a treat for that. One behavior, one click, one treat. Very simple. 
if I stop clicking and reinforcing for that behavior and I cue it and she does the behavior and then nothing happens, over a period of time, she'll go through what is called extinction. So extinction is when a behavior sort of dies out and there's there are a lot of other sciencey words that go with this like spontaneous recovery where it just rebounds or an extinction burst where they start just doing the behavior really really hard like just doing a lot of lip lifting and maybe shoving it in your face and like doing it so much as a kind of a last hurrah before they finally give up the behavior and then later on it might spontaneously recover um i forget what the other things that can happen are but extinction is a no-go that's it's very bad usually it's very frustrating for the animal and and really i think the best way to use extinction is when you're just changing over behaviors but that is for another episode uh or reinforcements i mean but so (sighs) so many thoughts happening all the time with with that, Zoe would probably stop lifting her lip aside the spontaneous recovery and extinction bursts and just frustration behaviors. She would eventually stop responding because she is no longer being reinforced for her. Why would she do that behavior? It doesn't do anything for her. So why would she? For me, if I stop getting paid at a job, I'm not going to work at that job anymore. Why would I? What's in it for me? I need to make money. I have other things to do. Why would I, if if it's no longer more reinforcing, more motivating, more enjoyable than the other million things I have to do, why would I keep doing it? So with, with the positive reinforcement, it's the same thing. And I think where it gets confusing is that traditional training and negative reinforcement, you're not, you're not really adding anything physical Um, outside tack and equipment, which usually results in some level of punishment, unfortunately, um, unless done right. But from what I have seen in my very long career (laughs) being an equestrian is it's usually when you start adding more equipment, the more pain, (laughs) discomfort is involved, um, with, with negative reinforcement, it, you're, you're not having to stop and feed the horse. You don't have to click. You don't have to do all of these things, but that doesn't mean that you're not reinforcing the horse. So when you are riding in the arena, you are constantly reinforcing and or punishing your horse for different things. That's what training is. It's helping the horse learn this way, that way. And you can frame it however you would like and Different horses are different individuals and respond differently, have different thresholds. Some horses find, um, you know, having a leg put on their side extremely aversive, while other horses don't particularly mind it. And it just, it varies with the individual, just like it does with people. For me, for a really long time, I absolutely hated when anybody would touch me. I didn't like it when they would touch my shoulder or my arm or my back, um, you know, even boyfriends, I was like, don't touch me. (laughs) Don't enjoy it. And, um, it just felt weird. It made me uncomfortable. And now I've had a lot of positive experiences with touch because I ended up dating a boy that is, I haven't, when do you start saying man versus woman, you know, like, or versus boy, (laughs) we'll call him a boy. He's a boy. Um, he's younger than me, so he gets to be a boy. Uh, I'm just kidding. Please. If his mom is listening to this, I love you, Kathy. Shout out. Um, anyway, he is a cuddle bug and a half loves to touch is very, very into it. And when we first started dating, I was like, not for me, but you know, we talked about it. We had lots of healthy conversation around it. And I was like, it's just, Based on my experiences in my life, it's always made me uncomfortable. And he was like, if it's not something that you're comfortable with, we that's fine. And then gradually we got to a point where now I'm I'm the one that is more seeking of that touch and affection than he is. And so the same can be true for horses, especially ones like Danny. Uh, if you guys have been following him on my Instagram or TikTok, he is has just a massive aversion to people because of how he was treated. But with time and care and unlearning and relearning, 
you know, he can come around and learn to enjoy things. Like the other day, he blew my mind. He <laughs> went out with the farrier to work on uh, some horses in his field and he trotted up to us. And this is a horse that if you get within like five feet of him, you know, unless you're being very careful, really diligent about your body language and have some reinforcement available, um, he's probably going to walk away from you cautiously. He trotted up to us. I was like, what? Amazing. So yeah, it, it's just, you know, things can change, but it, it still is just because you can't see that something is happening doesn't mean that you're not reinforcing. So positive reinforcement, yes, I think a lot of people think is really inconvenient and annoying and difficult because you have to stop and you have to feed, but you can train behavior chains. So this is the other thing and why I said it depends because that was way too much for me to answer on an Instagram story post that you can, so with the Zoe example, let's say, I teach her to smile and instead of clicking and treating the one behavior, one click, one treat response, instead of doing that, I could then use a tertiary reinforcer, which is a third level tertiary um, cue for, uh, to reinforce her. So I could then cue her to target something or to touch something with her nose. So the first behavior would be smile. And then I would say, okay, hold out the target stick. And I would say target. And if she took a step towards it, then I would click and then I would treat. So now the smile behavior is being reinforced by the cue for another behavior. So you can build behavior chains like that. Um, We do behavior chains all the time. Going to work, working on a daily basis to earn a paycheck, you know, you'll work all week for a paycheck or for two weeks or for a month for a paycheck. You're not getting that click and treat until the end of the week, month, whatever, but you're doing all of these behaviors for a week, a month, which is pretty incredible if you think about it. And so with horses, you can use the same thing. There are people that train entire dressage tests and then do a click and a treat at the end. It's crazy. But yeah, so, um, that, that, that's pretty much the answer to the question (laughs) is that it depends. Um, you should, okay, here, let me, let me outline here. The, oh my God, my little orange cat is just absolutely losing his mind that I'm not paying so much attention to him right now. (sighs) To summarize, do you have to keep reinforcing behavior? You don't have a choice is the answer. You can't choose whether or not to reinforce a behavior unless you just don't interact or there is no behavior occurring because you're not in the vicinity of the horse. If you want to be in control of something, what you can choose is how you reinforce your horse. You can either choose to reinforce negatively or positively. You can either add a treat, add scratches, add some type of reinforcement that the horse finds desirable, um, and add it, you know, or something that some stimuli that the horse finds desirable scratches, food, um, companionship, uh, being taken back to where they're comfortable, things like, well, it's arguably might be negative reinforcement actually. Um, it's cat age is what I'm thinking of. Uh, anyway, so with negative reinforcement, you're removing the things that the horse doesn't really like. Um, or doesn't find comfortable. So you can choose which one, which one do you want to use? And sometimes in certain situations, you don't have a choice and uh, you have to use what's available. And I recommend the humane hierarchy, set the environment up for success, antecedent arrangement, set the horse up for success in your antecedent arrangement, make sure they know the behaviors that they'll need to know to do the one that you need to ask them to do at a later date, such as trailer loading for emergencies to the vet, um, other things, you know, then you, you start building up that humane hierarchy, moving into positive reinforcement and so on and so forth. Uh, and use the more aversive forms of reinforcement and punishment as a emergency protocol only for the most part. So there's that. I do not personally believe that all positive punishment and negative reinforcement is created equally. I have been guilty in the past of demonizing it as a whole, but it's, it's not all bad. 
Okay. And we know this and positive reinforcement trainers know this. We as speaking as a positive reinforcement trainer and we have a little bit of a habit of, you know, demonizing it, vilifying it, and also only really preaching about the bad examples, but like, you know, simply leading your horse to and fro the barn or the pasture. If they're happy to walk alongside you, you're good. Even though they might have had a long history of how they've been taught, if they're content now and there's no like regressive behaviors um, or that behavior no longer being sustainable because now they're not being punished, like if they're just still happy to keep walking beside you and you never have to get harsher with them, that's probably okay. Um, how I've been choosing to gauge things lately has been more of, I'll let the horse <laughs> be the expert on themselves. If they find this uncomfortable, aversive, scary, um, you know, whatever, then we're not going to do it. Okay. <laughs> we'll back off. Let's try it another way. I'll ask some other way or make it more reinforcing, um, you know, for behaviors that they have to do. But it, it just, hmm. you just don't get to pick whether or not you can use reinforcement or not. And questions like that, I think are generally, they come from people that have just gotten into it. And I mean, I asked that question. I was like, when can I stop using food? You can stop using food at any time. It's just you can't stop using reinforcement and you'll have to switch to a different form of reinforcement because the behaviors won't be sustainable. Um, you can, this is another thing I should mention. You can put behaviors on an intermittent reinforcement schedule. So like if, if I reinforced Zoe for smiling every third time that I cued her, then it makes the behavior stronger in theory However, it can also potentially attach some level of frustration, um, anxiety around that behavior. Um, like for instance, when I started working with Zoe on following a target, I was not very consistent because this was when I first started clicker training. I was not really consistent in how I was, or systematic and how I increased my criteria. So I'd be like, take five steps and take 10 and then take 20 and, or do it for this X amount of time. Um, and gradually it became a really frustrating behavior. So what, what intermittent reinforcement is, is you're getting reinforced intermittently on a time schedule. There are variable ratios, um, intermittent ratios, fixed ratios. There, there are lots of different, but let's not get into the science. It's boring. Uh, but a slot machine is a variable ratio. I think it's intermittent reinforcement. You, you pull the, the lever and the slot machine spins and spins and it makes all its cool music and blinks its bright lights, lots of dopamine and sensory filling. Um, I hate casinos can't do it. Um, <laughs> but so you pull the lever and all of that happens. And then you, you know, you don't hit the three in a row or whatever. And you do it again 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 and you do it again. And then finally on your like 10th pull, you hit big, you hit the jackpot, you get flooded with dopamine reward. And you're like, oh, all that behavior was amazing. Yes. I'm going to keep doing it. And you keep pulling the lever, even though you 90% of the time, literally that you pulled the lever, you didn't get anything. And I have done that with my little orange cat actually on accident. I'll be sitting here working at my desk and he walks up to me and he starts meowing and it started out with just meowing he'd sit and meow at me and uh I would reach over and pet him and then I'd stop and then he'd meow at me again and a couple more times and then I'd pet him again and I'd be like okay but I have to work and then he'd meow you know 10 or 15 times and then I'd be like okay fine what hi and then I'd pet him again and then I wouldn't and then I'd be like okay hi and you know it over and over again and he never knew when I was gonna do it so now it's a really, really strong behavior. So he, he just finally gave up and I've been recording for like 50 minutes at this point. So it took him 50 minutes to stop because I was, you know, occasionally scratching him or whatever. And it's, I've done it to myself, <laughs> but he's trained me very well to that. I must pay attention to him. So 
like I was saying with Zoe, it became very frustrating because she never knew when she was going to hit and there was no systematic buildup of increasing that duration, gradually increasing my criteria gradually. And so it became really unpredictable and she found that aversive. So now when I have her target, she pins her ears. It's something that I was working on fixing for a little bit, but then we moved farms and I just got lost in the sauce. So anyway, that, that is something that you can do. Like for Wally, obviously it worked very well because now he gets pets and he doesn't get super frustrated. He doesn't like start biting me or stomping around or, you know, destroying things. He just keeps, keeps doing his behavior, keeps meowing and reaching up and, you know, like uppies at me all the time. But I would not recommend doing that unless you are very, very experienced and know what you're doing and know how to properly read how the learner is feeling about that. Because like I said, you can cause a lot of frustration doing that. But that is one way that you can fade out treats. But like I said, still, you will have to reinforce that behavior sometimes. At some point, you have to reinforce it again. But generally, behavior change are the, are the simpler, uh, easier to understand one. And for the purposes of this podcast, we'll be sticking with the simpler ones. But it is an option. So in conclusion, I tried to summarize earlier. And then I went off on another tangent because I realized I hadn't talked about intermittent reinforcement. But in conclusion, you you are not allowed to choose whether or not you reinforce. You just are. It is as simple as a fact as you must breathe. You don't get to choose. You can choose how you breathe. Did you know, I just learned listening to a podcast the other day, that how you breathe can literally change your face shape? What? I actually don't know if that's like super proven fact. It might be because like, okay, so nose breathing versus mouth breathing, it it, it changes the way you're your jawline is because when you inhale through your nose, you kind of like straighten up a little bit. And when you inhale through your mouth, you kind of like, you know, or you like suck your chin back ever, you know, if you're not watching this, this is just a lot of me breathing, but it changes your face shape. And like I said, that could be because people that breathe through their mouth have or can't breathe through their nose. So their noses look like they do or whatever. Um, because I used to be one of those. I had my nose done. There's a YouTube video about it on this channel because I couldn't breathe, sort of. Mm. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So, you know, th- where was I going with that? Oh, okay. You can't choose whether or not you can breathe. In conclusion, for the final time, I'm going to hang on to this thread this time. In conclusion, you cannot choose whether or not you reinforce a behavior when training any more than you can choose whether or not to breathe. You can, however, use behavior chains and intermittent reinforcement to, you know, sort of woe back on how often you're having to click and treat. However, you will have to click and treat a lot of times before you get to that point because the animal has to have a, a pretty advanced level of clicker training to be able to do those things, much like your horse has to be pretty advanced, pretty strong, and pretty knowledgeable to do things like a pee-off or a flying lead change, uh, under saddle, that is. But, yeah. So, I'm so sorry that I, like, I feel like I get progressively more insecure about the podcast episodes. I don't know why. Like, I, I just, I feel like I'm not doing well. Like, I feel like I can't stay on topic. And, like, I'm all over the place. And... I'm hoping that that will improve, but I just start getting kind of foggy halfway through and I would love to take a break in the middle, but I really feel like I wouldn't keep going. (laughs) How did I used to record for three hours at a time? Like I genuinely feel fatigued in my brain. Maybe I need to do it earlier in the morning. I don't know, but I used to record them at like 2 a.m. I don't know. Brain fog, man. I think it just happens now that I'm talking so much and I'm not used to being super unhealthy and anxious all the time. I don't know. Anyway, that I think wraps up this episode. I hope that I answered that question pretty well. Um, You know, pay your horse in conclusion. Don't expect them to work for free. Don't do that. And don't expect them to only work because, you know, the alternative is to deal with things that they don't enjoy. Uh, you know, you can balance it out, find a way, even if you ride traditionally, you can still make it more pleasant if you'd like, but those are my thoughts. And I think I'm going to call this one a day. 
uh, please, dear God, make suggestions on what you'd like me to talk about. Because are we doing well? I don't know. I do have a survey thing, if you've listened this far, that I would love for you to fill out. It's a little Google form, pretty quick, won't take up any of your time, and it'll help improve the podcast just by letting me know what you guys would like me to specifically talk about. You know? Like, what kind of topics? Who would you like to have on? When do you listen to them? When would you like for them to come out? When is a better time? Hmm? 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 What would you like me to offer you? Okay? So that's that. I'm going to call this one a day. You can find me, Jet Equithery, everywhere. My website is equithery.com. I will link below to some resources about operant conditioning if you'd like to learn more um, and the quadrants and all of this crazy science mumbo jumbo. But I think that is where we're going to end the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you learned something and gave you something to think about. Okay? Let me know what else you want to hear. Okay. I'm going to go. Thanks. Bye.